Amen. Amen. Can you give the Lord a praise offering this morning? Isn't he good? Man, I don't know about you, but I am so thankful to be in the house this morning, and I'm really excited about the series that we're starting. I'll tell you more about that in just a moment. But as we do get started this morning, would you just turn to your neighbor and tell him, I'm expecting something powerful today. Come on. Can somebody say it like you actually mean it? That would be even better. I hope that your expectation is really high today because I truly do believe that we're in a season of God doing the miraculous. I believe that with all of my heart. And my prayer for you today is that you receive that. As a matter of fact, before I jump into the message and start talking about that, I just want to welcome everybody that's watching online. Everybody in the house, can we welcome everybody watching online today? We're so grateful for you. We wish that you were here in the house, but some of you are too far away and you can't get here on a Sunday. And we're so thankful that we can do it this way, that you can still be a part of what we're doing. I do want to take a second and shout out to my brother, Chris Pitts, who has been ill for a while. His father passed away a couple of months ago, and he's been in and out of the hospital. Chris has been a part of our church family since the Millersville days, and uh, he is my brother for sure. And Chris, we're praying for you. We love you, and we can't wait till you're right back in your seat in this house. Anybody agree with me in the house? So, so many people from Elvis to Gail to so, there's so many people that we're praying for and believing for miracles. And I'm just thankful to be in a miracle believing house of the Lord. Amen. So what I want to do really quickly too, is this, is kind of jump into this part is we're stepping in to the Christmas season. I know, I know. It's like, have you already started listening to Christmas music? Anybody already started? Okay. All right. Hang on. Thanksgiving has got to happen first, but we won't go there. Apparently that's like Democrat and Republican. You know, it's like, we can't talk about that. But anyway, uh, the truth is, is as Christmas comes closer, we get closer to our kids' Christmas that we do every year. So this year, once again, we want to reach and take care of a hundred kids. Uh, at-risk kids, at-need kids, kids that are in the foster program that are in between. There are a lot of different needs there that we don't really think about unless we're dealing with those things. And uh, we're so thankful. Last year, we exceeded what we could do, what we had planned, and I believe we can do that again this year. It's $100 per kid is what we like to do. If you can't do $100 or, you know, if you want to do more, any amount helps. It's just good for us to know that typically our shopping experts in this house have learned how to, to bring a great Christmas to a child for a hundred bucks. Would your child be happy with that? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So what I would encourage you to do is to really pray about it and say, God, how can I be a part of this? So what we're going to do really quickly is ask our ushers to come up and those that want to go ahead and jump in, this is the perfect time. We'll do this offering every Sunday until I think it's the two weeks before Christmas. 
that's the deadline for us to get it into the hands of everybody that's got to get into. But I hope that you'll be a part of this. There is nothing like making sure that kids know that somebody remembers them and that we can show them Jesus. That's what we want to do because the gifts aren't from us, right? The gifts are to let them know that somebody loves them. His name is Jesus more than anything. So it's so powerful. So let me just pray for you and we're going to get into the word. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this moment and the opportunity to be a blessing to people who are in different situations than some of us. And Lord, your word always teaches us that we're blessed to be a blessing. So Father, may we be the conduit this season in many ways that we can touch the lives of children and be a help to parents. And Lord, we thank you for trusting us. And Lord, I'm expecting more because that's who you are, a God of abundance. We thank you for it, Father. Bless your people in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Go ahead, gentlemen. So my job today is to come up after you've learned about the McGregor gang. Yeah, that's right. We got the Bloods, the Crips, and the McGregors. So I don't, you know, I was, I was listening to that and I was like going, wow, it's like, uh, yeah. Yep, that's what we do. But anyway, you know, it's funny that we're, that he told that story because today we're starting a new series that'll take us through the next few weeks called Made for This Moment. You've heard me talk a lot over the last few months about you were made for this moment. God put you in this moment for a reason. You may not understand it completely. You may not have full comprehension of why God has trusted you with the challenges that you're facing. But what we do know is that God knows right where you are. And he knew that, let me just say it like this. None of this stuff in the world has taken God by surprise. None of this stuff in the world has taken God by surprise. So why would we think for a moment that God, who knows the beginning from the end, did not recognize that you would be a follower of Christ, that you would be a child of God in a season where darkness is trying its best to encroach and encroach upon every believer in ways that we never thought possible? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? It happens, and it's a real deal. Thank you, brother. <clears throat> Welcome to November, right? But what I want to explain to you today is to come alongside, give you some biblical definition of what does it look like when we're made in this, for this moment? What does it look like? Because I'm going to tell you right now, we live in a world that is lost its mind. We live in a world, and and I just want to reiterate this. If you're waiting for a 2024 election to change everything, if you're waiting for man to change everything, you're on the wrong path. You need to understand, yes, we've got a job to do, but we need Jesus. And we have a job in this moment. My job as your pastor is to make sure that you understand this isn't a season to hide. This is a season to be the light that God's called you to be. So right now, turn to your neighbor right now and say, honey, it's time to shine. (laughs) 
It is time to shine. So today, it's the story would be, how do we live a life of faith in a faithless world? How do we live in faith in a place where people don't want you to do that? Because we live in a time, I think it's interesting, because here's what they tell us. Do what you want, but make sure you celebrate what everybody else does, okay? Because what that is, it's the tolerance idea. It's the tolerance. And it's interesting to me that the tolerance is being policed by intolerance. We live in a world that says, you can talk about Jesus, but don't call what I do in my lifestyle, the things that I am doing that aren't godly, don't say that they're wrong. You've got to accept that. Here's what I want to tell you. God has called us to love the people in the world, but he's not called us to be of the world. So we really need to understand that this is a moment in time. This is a moment that we believe as Jesus prepares for a return and as we are preparing for his return. It's not the time to be ignoring who you are. It's time to embrace that you are a child of God and there are people around you that are making eternal choices. And it is our responsibility as followers of Christ that we make sure that we're saying, here's a way that you could choose. Let me show you Jesus. And so many of us aren't doing that. We're afraid. We're hiding. We're afraid because if we say something that, well, what if I lose my job? What if you lose your job? Who's your source? But I may, I may lose friends. Really? If, if you lose friends because you believe in Jesus, then I'm, I dare to say that they're not your friends anyway. But we find ourselves so entrenched in the world. And let me just tell you, believers, I'm speaking to you, is that the reality is, is I believe there are so many of us that are so deeply entrenched in the patterns of the world that we don't even recognize how cold we are to the things of God. And it's a challenging idea, and we're going to step into that today. And if you would, just stand to your feet really quickly. I'm going to open your Bibles into the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah, I love this. Man, the book of Isaiah is just one of those books that just blows your mind every time you read it. But I want to look in verses 41, I mean chapter 41, and I want to read verse 10, and that's going to be our core scripture for the day. So do not fear, for I am with you. I'm going to read that again because in this season, this is really important. <clears throat> so do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. My righteous hand. Uh, the, the deeper part of that translation would say his hand of justice, his hand of power, his hand of victory, his hand of salvation. And I will say this before we pray. Why are we afraid when the creator of everything 
says, don't be dismayed. I've got you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the next few moments that we have together. And God, I pray that as we share and break open your word, God, I pray that you would open our hearts, open our minds, and reveal yourself to us. Lord, we're all on in different places in our journey, different seasons of our lives. But Father, your word, your word stands true and it speaks to every single one of them. So Father, I pray today that the seed that we sow will find fertile soil in the hearts of your people. And that God, it would, as always, bring back a harvest of good in each of our lives. And finally, Lord, I pray this, that when we leave our time together today, we would leave here changed in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You can be seated. You know, I find it interesting that fear is something that is so palpable in our lives. You know, the reality is is that there is none of us that have not experienced fear. I mean, have, have any of you really been, I mean, seriously afraid? Anybody, come on, anybody, anybody who's, I mean, really afraid? You're like, oh man, I'm scared, I'm scared. You know, it's like, you know, some of you, some of you might have wet yourself, some of you, know, I don't know. But there are times that we get scared. You know, it's like when I was growing up, now I grew up in the, in the 80s, and um, hey, hurrah for the 80s, right? I got any 80s kids? Okay, thank you. The 80s kids aren't usually that quiet. But anyway, you know, I grew up and all of my friends wanted to watch horror movies. I mean, horror, I mean, and it was like, you know, uh, Freddy Krueger, stuff like that. You know, Jason. Yeah, all these different things, you know, and, some, so, you know, I, and sometimes I'll see clips of it now and I go, dear Lord, that was the dumbest stuff I've ever, that's, what is that even scary? That's just dumb. You know, but, but you know, we would, they would watch these things and, and I, I, man, I just couldn't handle it. I, it would terrify me. And I remember I went over to my friend's house and, and they were, they were watching a movie called Witchboard. And, you know, and I was like, I walked in, I saw what, is it, what it was about. And I looked at him, I said, I'm out of here. <clears throat> and they said, why? What's wrong with you, Baggett? <clears throat> and I said, do you know my daddy? And they start laughing, oh, the preacher, the preacher. I said, no, 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 I'm not talking about the preacher. You know this stuff y'all playing with with the witch board? I have seen it. That stuff ain't nothing to play with, you know? It's like, so I ain't playing with it, you know? So, so I, I would leave, and it was just funny because, you know, there, there's these fears that grip us. I'll tell you one more story, and I'll get into the depth of what we're going to talk about. But, you know, uh, speaking of my dad... We were at, uh, we lived in a parsonage, you know, and basically a parsonage, if some of you that don't know, it's, it's like uh, low income housing for preachers. That's basically what it, what it is. And uh, so we lived in the parsonage on the church property, which basically gives anybody in the community 100% access to the church, to the uh, pastor's family at all times, day and night. Doesn't that sound wonderful? Somebody asked me, Pastor, are you going to build a parsonage on the, on the church grounds? I said, no. I grew up that way. I ain't doing it again. But I remember this one time, my dad, and, and of course, my dad was, his life was a series of adventures. 
And uh, there was this guy who called and said he was mad at dad for something he preached because, you know, it's like the devil don't like it when you preach the truth and somebody gets stirred up and they get convicted. And, uh, and so anyway, this guy apparently got really convicted and then got really drunk, not the plan that you need to follow. And uh, he got really drunk, so he started calling dad and it was probably about, you know, one or two o'clock in the morning. And he said, I'm coming over there and I'm going to kill you. Now, these, these are the words my dad's, you know, he's, he's a country boy. He said, well, come on, you know, and, and all this stuff. And, and he hung up the phone and dad was really smart. So he hung up the phone and he called the police, which was just right down the street from us. And he said, hey, such and such sadness again. They go, pastor, why do you, everybody want to kill you? I remember him saying, why does everybody want to kill you? He goes, I don't know. You know, but anyway, so. We're standing there, and you know, in halftime, you think these things won't really happen. And I'll never forget, now I'm, I'm probably eight, nine years old at this place at this time, and I'll, I'll never forget, in our house, it faced the side of the main church building. And in, on the house, we didn't have a storm door, we had glass. It was a glass door, it was louvered. And you, you may remember those doors. And, uh, you know, it, it's like, it's really pretty, but it ain't going to keep nobody out. You know what I mean? So anyway, I'll never forget as a kid, I told dad, I said, dad, I'm with you. I'm going to stand with you. You don't have to be afraid. We've got this, you know, I'm all this. And I went and got my little pocket knife, you know, I'm ready. I've got my little pocket knife and, and, uh, and I said, we're right here. And my dad's kind of chuckling and all that stuff. And I'll never forget the dude shows up with a shotgun and he starts pounding on the door frame with the butt of the shotgun, hollering for my dad. Now it took about two strikes on the door frame before the bravery inside of me dissipated rather quickly. And I went and hid inside the coat closet. So finally, the guy leaves and says he's going to meet dad in the back. I gave him a time. And dad said, okay, now the whole thing was here. Now, I know y'all think you preachers full of faith and, and fire, and my dad was definitely one of those. But I'll never forget when I came out of the closet, and my dad had the shotgun at the door just waiting for him to come in. He said, I'll shoot him, and then we'll raise him up from the dead after this is over. <laughs> so anyway, so I come out of the coat closet, and dad tells me what's going on. And, and so the police guy has parked behind the little red church and in the back of the parking lot. And he's parked back there and they're just waiting for dude to come, you know. And so, so dad says, well, I got to go out there because, you know, I'm the bait and all that stuff. And mom's like going, you're an idiot. You know, so anyway, she's going through all this. And I said, dad, I'm going to come with you. Now, I don't know why in the world my dad let me go. That, I mean, that's just not good parenting. But anyway, that's what happened. And, uh, but this is the same, well, anyway. Okay, so here's what happened. So I walk out there with dad and, you know, here's my second chance. Yeah, he's like to, to be brave again. You know, it's like, here's my chance. I mean, the policeman's there, my dad's here. So all of a sudden, Wheels start screeching. He cut, this guy pulls him to the parking lot and he stops in the back. And as soon as that car turned the curve and started squealing, I looked around 
and I saw the, the under thing that goes, to the, that goes underneath the church. It was like a, a concrete culvert, you know, and it went down and gave the entrance to underneath the bottom of the church. And buddy, let me tell you something. I found that culvert as quick as I could, jumped in it and prayed for it to be over. My daddy never let me live that down. Fear. Isn't it amazing what fear does? Even in that moment, I was never really in danger. But yet fear overtook me. Now, I know it's a kid thing and, and all those different things. And I know you've probably had somebody beaten on your door with a shotgun many times threatening your life. So I know that that's not a big deal. But fear is real. And we live in a time where fear is pervasive. And what I've discovered, and I think you have too, is this, is that people who desire power over you try to inflict power and thrust that on you through the use of fear because it's effective. It's effective. If you're afraid, then people can get you to do what they need you, what they desire you to do. Yet the Word of God teaches us that you shouldn't be walking in fear. You know, notice it never says, says that, you know, don't, you know, you're never going to be afraid. You're never going to struggle with issues like that. No, that's not what he's talking about because we're wired that there's good fear and bad fear, but good fear is the fear that we have under control because we realize that God is in control. And when we face these tumultuous days, when we face the issues that we're facing today, and, and listen, if you've not been called on to stand for your faith, trust me, you will. And if you're not, then you're doing something wrong. I'm challenging each of you that are watching this, that are part of us in this house today, I'm challenging each of you to understand something, that we live in a time where what is bad is being called good. Remember that scripture? We need to understand who we are. So if we're going to be understand why it's so important for us to be made in this moment, I want to talk to you about the comeback from fear. Because I want to show you that no matter how afraid you are of things, whether it's a fear of loss of a job, whether it's fear of all these different things, I'm telling you, God is in control. We have to learn to trust him. But I find it very interesting because in the book of Psalm, chapter 137, verse 4, it says, how can we sing the songs of the Lord while we're in a foreign land? Boy, that makes me think of our situation today. You know, there used to be a day when you could walk into a restaurant. My family was famous for it. My dad and we'd walk into a restaurant and everybody knew that the preacher was there. And I can't tell you how many times people would come up to us and say, can you pray for me? Can you pray for me? They'd come up to our booth. Can you pray for me, pastor? I've got this going on, going, got this on. Why? It was different. Now what we find are people are afraid to be who they are. And I'm, gonna, I'm trying not to berate people right now, but I'm telling you, this is not the time for you to not be bold enough to be who God called you to be. You are a child of God. Don't be afraid of that. Don't stand back. Don't be stupid, but trust God. Walk with him and don't walk in fear. So I want to start with a key thought. And it's this, because fear is a big deal. So when we talk about fear, when we measure our fear to ourselves. 
it can be terrifying. Anybody know what I mean? When you're measuring your fear and looking at what your power is and your strength is and your ability, it's terrifying. Measuring your fear to God's authority reveals his victory for you. See, there's a difference. Because what I want to encourage you in in this moment is I get it, man, because sometimes I'm watching stuff and I'm telling my wife, I'm going, God, this is terrifying. We're watching from my perspective, we're watching that everything that we have valued as a nation crumble because of a few crazy nutcases. And we look at it, and, and the problem is, is that many of us shrink back and go, well, ain't nothing I can do about it. I beg to differ. Because the reality is, is the church needs to find its voice again. And how do we find our voice you remember who you are, and you remember what's at stake. We are children of the living God, and we need to walk in that. So when you measure your fear to yourself, it can be terrifying. When you measure your fear to God's authority, it reveals his victory for you. In other words, you're comparing the problem, what you're afraid of, to his greatness. Man, that changes things, doesn't it? See, when, when I was afraid... When I was afraid so many times, you know, I, I, wasn't, like, I wasn't like Grant Ross and the, and the gangsters McGregor. Uh, <clears throat> I had an older brother and sister, absolutely, but my sister beat me up all the time. And my brother, uh, he just didn't like me. So anyway, um, <laughs> that's changed. But anyway, the reality is, is, is I, I never felt that safety in that unless my dad was there. And I did feel safety. And I want you to understand, when I compared it to what my dad was able to do, some of the problems in my life were not that terrifying anymore. But if I was trying to confront it in my own eight, nine-year-old mind, I couldn't wrap my head around it. So what I'm trying to tell you today, there are things that you're afraid of. Some of you are afraid that you're going to be alone. Some of you are afraid that you're never going to be well again. Some of you are afraid that they're going to come and they're going to take everything you own. Some of you are afraid that you're going to lose your job. These are real concerns. But they shadow in effect to the power and the authority of Jesus. Because Jesus says, I'm going to uphold you with my righteous hand. So I'm going to tell you, if I'm going to face anything in this world, and I know that God, the maker of everything, the creator of the universe, the God that sacrificed his only son that I, so that I could come into his family, is now saying, I've got you. The same God that raised Jesus from the dead and also said that now that he lives inside of you, the same power that I used to raise him from the dead now resides inside of you. I look at my problems a little bit differently. You know, there's a confidence that comes when you trust that. I remember when I first started preaching, and uh, I'll never forget because, you know, it was one of those funny things where, you know, I would get in the platform. Uh, you can tell I've been on vacation. I'm full of stories today. So um, <laughs> I'll never forget, I, I was starting out as a preacher. I'd been preaching to teenagers for quite a while, and, and now it was time to start preaching to adults. Now, first I want to tell you something. 
teaching teenagers and teaching adults, it's different, right? Teenagers, everybody thinks, oh, they're so hard. There's, no, man, teenagers are cool. You, you, you just, you just kind of go for it. And you be one of those pe- people like adults, they're out there saying, hmm, he's, that was the NIV translation. I don't like that NIV translation. That's not, that's, not what, uh, that's not what David Jeremiah said. He didn't say it like that. Well, what about, oh, he sounds like Joel Osteen. I don't like Joel Osteen. <laughs> the kids don't even know who he is. Right? I mean, they don't care. But I'll never forget <laughs> walking up, and uh, <laughs> it was my first, maybe first, second time to teach the adults. And what dad learned in that time of my training was never tell anybody that I was preaching. See, y'all don't understand that because y'all aren't mean. Because what would happen is if, if they found out I was preaching, they wouldn't come to church. I mean, that was really comforting and really encouraging for me as a young preacher. And I'll never forget one day, because here's why I was, I was the wor- I did worship, and, and I'll never forget, I had no idea this was going on. And this is how my dad was always like this. But he got up, worship was over, everything was ready, it was time for the word, and he Clegg, you've got the word for the house today. Go to it. I'll never forget. I'm going, huh? What? And, and I remember look, walking over to him. I said, Dad, what are you doing? And he said, instant, in season, and out. Amen. So I remember walking to the pulpit, and as I opened up, I said, well, I'm going to be sharing the word with you today. And there was an audible groan. <laughs> Y'all, that's terrifying. And I'll never forget, see, what people didn't know is that during those days, those early days, I was trying to emulate my father because he was the example that I had, and uh, I would wear his shoes because it comforted me. It gave me security to know. There was just something about it. Even to this day, when I go into high-pressure moments and I've got to make decisions, and and if I'm in a new situation, I'm nervous about something, or even if I'm with you and I've got to share a difficult thing, you know, I've got uh, his tie pin from when he met my mom that he wore at Colonial Bread back in Memphis when he met my mother, and that's one of the things that they gave me, and I'll have it on my tie because I, if you'll know, if I've got a tie on, hang on. <laughs> but it comforts me because it gives me the security and reminds me that he's with me. Just like God is with you. And you can't forget that. Don't let fear control you. You do what God has called you to do and refuse to allow the enemy to get you to hunker down and try to hide who you are. You be who God called you to be. Why is this so important? And the story I want to just share with you, just because I'm setting up what we're going into in the next little bit. There's a story, there's a whole book that tells this story, and I know uh, the ladies have taught this several times, but it's the book of Esther. And Esther is a powerful, powerful story. The, the two main characters are Mordecai and Esther. And we talk about this story of bravery. We talk about this, they stood up at the impossible odds, and they, they made a difference 
But sometimes we don't hear the backstory. Because the reality is, is that for Mordecai and Esther, they had been entrenched in the culture that they lived in. They were hidden. They didn't know about their background. They didn't know that they were Hebrew. They didn't know this because they had been three generations since the, uh, since the exile started. Okay, the exile of Daniel's time. That's the exile that we're talking about. This is three generations. I began to think about that and thought, wow, you know what? That sounds like the church. We've lived in America and had freedoms for so long, we thought that nobody can take them away. But yet here we are, facing things that seem impossible to us. It's much like Mordecai and Esther. They're in a place and a time with a fruitcake king. This guy was a nutbag. This guy was not a good dude. And now we find him looking for a wife. He didn't like Vashti, his first wife, so he, he got rid of her because she wouldn't do what he wanted in front of all of his friends, which was go dance naked in front of them. Ladies, how many of you would say, no. So she just did what all of you would do, so he banished her. So then he comes back from losing a battle, and he comes back and he realizes he, he, needs, he needs a new wife. So they find all the virgins in the, in the area. They find all of them. They're bringing them all in. And the Bible says that Esther was drop-dead gorgeous. Esther, a Hebrew, hidden. Because here's the thing. They didn't know what would happen if they knew their nationality. They didn't know what kind of penalty they would pay. Much less would the king accept her. So there's a lot of backstory to this that we begin to realize and say, wow, this was a difficult place. And here's the other reality in that, is that many of the people, when Nehemiah went back into the city and all of a sudden the king allowed the exiles to kind of go back on their own freedom, a lot of God's people stayed in the culture that they were in. Why? Because they were comfortable. Because they had relationships they didn't want to lose. They had businesses. They had all these different things that were connecting them to it and keeping them bound into that. They had wealth, and if they walked away from that, you mean I got to start again? It's kind of like this. What do you mean? If, if I don't have a job, what am I going to do? You're going to do what God's always asked you to do. Take one more step because he's going to provide what you need. But see, we become so comfortable. We become entrenched. And I think that's the story. And I believe that's what's happening to us is God is waking us up as a people. I really believe that God's waking us up as a people saying, look, look, you can't just do what you used to do. You know, yeah, you used to get up and you'd go to church and, you know, you were lucky if you got there. And, you know, it's like the, the plate would come by and you, you would pay your tithe. You're so good. You're so good. You look great. You wore your best clothes. The kids look good. But then you go home and you live like hell. There's no difference in your life and your neighbor's life who don't know Jesus and all these different things. I'm just here to tell you that those days are done. Because we live in a season where God is waking his people up to what holiness is, to what it is to be a believer, to what it is to truly embrace who God said he is. And a lot of that's because we're afraid. I think if we look deeper, and, and I know that I don't have time to dig into this part of it, but when you look at the story of Mordecai and Esther, there had to be a lot of fear. I mean, there was a man named Haman 
that was an enemy of the people of God that were still left. He was looking for dirt to destroy. Does that sound like cancel culture to you? Just looking for somebody to mess up and to make a mistake. But I love this in Psalms chapter 34, verse 4, where it says, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from what? All my fears. So how do we come back from fear? We seek the Lord. I'm going to tell you something. There's something so powerful when the body of Christ comes together and seeks the Lord together. Is it, any, is, is it even strange that the enemy would try to destroy the God's people coming together to limit that? Does it, I, mean, does it, I mean, you look at it and you go, well, that's such an obvious ploy. That's such an obvious plan. Because when we come together seeking the Lord, we see moments like you felt this morning. How many of you felt the presence of the Holy Spirit in worship today? And you're thinking, oh my gosh, this is what I want. This is what I need. Why? What was the difference? Because somebody came into this building today seeking God. Somebody came into this building, and you know what the truth is? Their problems are bigger than them. But they are seeking the Lord, and the Bible promises when we seek him, he will take away our fear. And that's what I'm telling you. See, Mordecai and Esther, the truth is, is they kind of disguise themselves. They blend it in to the culture around them. In other words, it's very possible that you couldn't tell their lives different from any of the other Persian people there. This was modern day Iraq is the area that Mordecai came from. And when, or Iran, sorry. And when we, we come through all this and we're looking at it, we're going, man, how did this happen? Well, what happens is the world wants to give you another name. And if we're not careful, we'll allow it. Because here's, here's what happens. You know, Esther was not her name. No, that wasn't her name. That was the Persian name given to her. Oh, no. Esther was not her original name. Her original name was Hadassah. That was her Hebrew name. And that's where it came from. And I love it. You know what that translates to in, in language? Myrtle. So, I did, I, you know, as soon as I read that, I started laughing. I was like going, really? Myrtle? Yeah, my, I can't say anything. My middle name is Arnold. So I ain't got nothing to say about nobody's name. But, you know, I don't picture Myrtle as being the hottest lady in the entire world nation. Right? I think of Myrtle as my grandmother. And I see, you know. But what Myrtle means is Righteousness. See, her real name was righteousness. And what the enemy wants to do is to fool you into believing that that's not your name. No, you're part of us. I'm telling you right now that you need to realize who you are. You are called by God person. God created you for this moment. Listen to me. You were made for this moment. Tell somebody that. They need to hear it. Tell them you were made for this moment. Come on, tell somebody beside you. You were made for this moment. And your name is not what the world wants to call you. Sick. Hateful. Bigot. 
Don't let the world define who you are. You are a child of the living God. You are bought with a price, forgiven. You are a new creation. And everything that you once were is gone because now you belong in the family of God. Man, y'all going to make me preach and I'm getting out of time. So Esther, she had two names. <laughs> it's fascinating. And here's something maybe you don't know. Mordecai, his name's a little harder to find. And as I begin to look back through that, a lot of theologians believe he was actually Malachi the prophet. I want you to think about that for a minute. <laughs> so a man as a prophet of God, possibly, finds himself in a situation where he takes in his orphaned family member and is trying his best to raise her safely and doing everything he can. See, it's easy to beat people up because they find themselves entrenched and comfortable. But sometimes we find ourselves in these places and we didn't mean to get there. All it shows us is that Esther and Mordecai were human. The difference is what comes in the story that we'll talk about next. It's what they do because it's the comeback. But the truth is they chose to hide their true identity. But God has a way of giving you another chance. And I believe that's what God's giving us today. Another chance for you to be the man that God called you to be. God didn't call you to try to hide your spirituality behind macho stuff. Ladies, God didn't call you to hide your faith behind your fashion. God called you to be a woman of God. God called you to be a man of God, a light, an oak in the winter that's still green. See, what I want you to hear today as I get ready to fi finish this is this key thought. Is this, that God placed you in this moment to be a light, not to play hide and seek. Not to play hide and seek with who you are in Christ. You are a light and you have a story to tell. Your story's not like my story. That's what's great about it. Because God reached down and rescued each one of us right where we were. Right where we were. And thank God he didn't leave us there. He made us better, right? But we need to understand he called us to be a light. Let me finish with this. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. I love this passage about identity. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. Oh, think about that. He calls us the children of God, and that is who we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. So I'm going to remind you, if you're expecting the world to just acknowledge you and say, oh, you're such a good Christian. You are so spirit-filled. I'm so amazed. You know what I find? You know what people are amazed by when I see people? Like, see, you know me as this. There are other people in the world that know me as something completely different from my past. And it still happens to this day. I am 52 years old, and sometimes I will still run into people that hasn't seen me in years, and they go, man, what's going on? And then the inevitable question comes, well, what do you do for a living? I'm a pastor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, really, what do you do for a living? Well, I'm a pastor. 
And like going, is that even possible? <laughs> the truth is, is that, see, the world doesn't know you because they don't know him. So stop expecting the world to acknowledge you as the great man or woman of faith that you are. And instead, understand, that's why the community of believers is so important. So we build each other up so that we can go into the world and be a light. Because here's what happens. When they receive him, they know him. And then they look at you and they go, how did I never see that? Because their eyes are blinded. So this journey of fear and coming into faith is really fascinating because we find out, you know the story. I mean, we know the story of Esther and Mordecai. Most of us do. And for those that you don't, you're in for a treat. But I'm telling you, it's the story of coming back from fear. Coming back from when you've been lethargic. I'm just here to tell you right now that you can bounce back from being lethargic in your comfort in your church. You can bounce back from that. You can come back from the fear of being known for who you really are. You can come back and you can make a difference. And you're going to learn through Mordecai and Esther over the next few weeks how to show up and let God show out through you. Because that's what we need. We need people that are full of the Spirit of God, that are walking around looking for an opportunity to pray for somebody. When somebody says, man, I just need somebody to pray for me. Happened to me yesterday. It's walking through Lowe's. Walking through, and I saw somebody went and said, hey, it's good to see you. I haven't seen you in a while. And they said, man, I'm so glad I ran into you. I I've got cancer. He began to tell me about all that stuff. And he said, would you just, would you, would you pray for me? And in his head, I know what he was thinking. Like through your prayer times and your week. And I said, no, let's pray right now. So I'm in the middle of lows. I lay hands on the man and I speak life over the man. You know, there are people walking around and seeing this. And I noticed our area got really cleaned out, really good. But what I'm trying to tell you is that you are that light. Be the work. Be the hands and feet of Jesus. Love people where they are. But be who God's called you to be. A child of God. Last thing I want to share is this last key thought. Be in the world, but not of it. Listen, God isn't calling us to assimilation or separation. He's calling us to be agents of transformation. He's called us to this world, to this moment. So put away the fear and get ready to be the vessel that God's going to use to bring the greatest revival to your family. See, I always think of family first. God wants to use you as that agent. Are you willing to be known for who you really are? Would you bow your head and close your eyes across the room? Father, today as we close our day together in this moment, God, I pray that you would convict each one of our hearts. Lord, there's none of us that are perfect. We all fail. We all stumble along the way. And we thank you for your grace that carries us. But Father, I, I would ask this in this moment. That you would help us 
to learn that it's okay to hide behind your leg. To wrap your to wrap our arms around your leg and peek out to see that what we thought was so terrifying is insignificant when it's compared to you. So Father, as we face the battles that lie ahead, give us the strength to be who you've called us to be. Help the church to once again be proud that we are called different, that we are called the children of God. Help us be who you need us to be in this moment. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, you're here today and you say, Pastor, you know what? I've allowed a lot of compromise. I've allowed some stuff and if I'm being honest, I've kind of hidden my faith. Maybe I didn't mean to, but I didn't want to be confrontational. But pastor, today I realize I was made for this moment. If that's you and you say, preacher, I need you to pray for me today. Remember me this week while you're praying. If that's you, I want you to slip your hand up and say, Pastor, remember me because I'm ready. I want to be different. I want to be bolder. I want to be who God's called me to be in this moment. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Anybody else? I don't want to miss a person. Yes, ma'am. Amen. Yes, ma'am. I see your hand. You could place your hands back down. I would like everybody in this room, if you would, just stand to your feet right where you are. I want to pray for you right now. Those that raise their hand. Father, in the name, <clears throat> in the name of Jesus. Lord, I speak over their lives. And Father, I pray that the fire of your spirit would rise up in them. That in those moments of fear, that God, you would give them a boldness that they don't even understand. That, God, you would so consume them that, God, they can't help but shout who they are and who they belong to. No matter what situation, that, God, you would give them wisdom and the strength to have confidence in who you are. Father, I pray that even this week you're going to open doors and give them opportunities to stretch to be who you've called them to be I declare this over every single one in the name of Jesus amen if you agree with that prayer can you just shout amen in this house amen come on yeah that's great but now one more question the most important question I'll ask today see some of you in this room you've been playing a game with God you live for him sometimes when it's convenient. But when the temptation comes on you, you're just not strong enough. That's a lie. You are more than able to take this mountain. And you're in here today and you've been struggling with that. And let's be honest, you beat yourself up because you fall down. Let me tell you something, everybody falls down. Real men and women of God, get back up. 
I'm challenging you, it's time to get back up. And some of you that are hearing this right now, you've never had a real relationship with Jesus. You've never heard about some of the things that we talk about in this house. But today I'm here to tell you something. I'm not asking you to be perfect because that ain't gonna work. But I'm asking you to surrender and give your life to Jesus for real. Because it changes everything. So I'm gonna ask everyone here to bow your heads one more time. And you're here in this house and you say, Pastor, you're talking about me. It's time for me to make a decision, a real decision for Jesus. I'm tired of running, I'm tired of playing games. I need Jesus. I don't wanna leave this house unsure of where I stand with God. If that's you, I want you to slip your hand up right now. I'm not gonna embarrass you, that's not what I do. Thank you, thank you. Anybody else, I don't wanna miss anybody. You say, I need Jesus this morning more than anything, more than my pride, more than anything. I need to know that I'm right with God. Is that you? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Come on. I know there's three more right now. I, I could walk off this platform and I could go touch you on the shoulder, but it's not my choice, it's yours. And you say, Pastor, I need to get right with God today. today. If that's you, five, four, three, two, Thank you. One. As a family, we're going to pray this prayer. And I want you to... I know you hear me say this prayer every week. But I want you to think about the words as you say them. We're going to say it together as a family because that's what you are. You're part of family. And we love you. And we want to walk this with you. So can we just pray that together? You say, it's a simple prayer. You can repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I'm sorry. Forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart and make me yours. I repent of my sin and I turn away from my past. Today I'm forgiven and I'm a new creation. What was is gone and my future is bright because I belong to you now. I give you my heart. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And amen. Come on, church, give the Lord some praise.